Good morning. We have a new congregation worshiping with us this morning in Uganda. I'd like to say we're uh, very happy to have you all join us. I hope the things we talk about would be of value to you as well as to us. Why does the Lord permit false teachers and their teaching? I don't know if you've ever uh, asked that question. I asked it, I remember, about 25 years ago. Uh, I didn't understand. Uh, you remember Oral Roberts? A lot of you don't, I guess. He, uh, he said one time that the Lord told him that if he didn't raise so much money, he was going to, uh, well, basically kill him. He had to come up with so much money that the Lord would kill him. And uh, it bothered me that he said that. It's extortion, of course. And uh, I wondered, uh, why, why does God put up with this? You know, a lot, of, a lot of people teach things that aren't true. And, you know, Jesus said if the blind lead the blind, they're all going to wind up in the ditch. And I got to wondering, you know, why does the Lord put up with such as this? And I didn't understand it. It seemed to me that if he took false teacher out of the equation, that would give people an opportunity to hear and follow the truth. Uh, that was the way I thought which uh, I learned later wasn't right. Uh, false teachers are a great threat. There is such a thing as false teachers. It's easy to understand what a false teacher is. Uh, there is truth on the one hand, and there is that which is not true on the other. And it's really that simple. Anybody can figure it out. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. Uh, if it's not true, then it's, it's false. And this is what we're... Uh, we're going to discuss for just a few moments. Paul said what was read a moment ago, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, Eve, if you recall, it, it was a very simple, very simple situation. Uh, the Lord said, uh, this particular tree, don't eat it. And if you eat it, you're going to die. And Satan said, oh, well, no, you won't die. Uh, it's not hard to understand Eve's dilemma, at least up to a point. There was truth and there was a lie. God spoke the truth and the serpent told the lie. And there's Eve in the middle. What's she going to do? Is she going to listen to the truth and follow it? Is she going to listen to the lie and follow it? Well, there was, a, there was just a little bit more involved in her decision, however, in verse 5, uh, the serpent said, you're not really going to die. God just said that because he knows that in the day you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the bait right there. That's what got her attention. It wasn't just a decision between what was true and what was not true. It was also what he wanted. Okay, he was appealing to her lusts, the lusts of the flesh. And Satan offered her an opportunity to be as wise as God. Now, that was something to think about, to be as wise as God. Uh, Eve found that very alluring, and that tipped the scale for her. It wasn't just that she heard a lie for the first time in her life, but what went with that lie, the promise. And because the promise was so appealing, she believed the lie. 
as you know, and she committed a sin. Uh, and it's still the same way today. Nothing's changed after all these years, 6,000 years later. Nothing's changed. It's still the same thing. We face the truth. We face a lie. And, of course, there's going to be something involved that tips the scale, usually something that appeals to us, something we want, something we like to have. Sometimes uh, it's the lust of the flesh. A person will believe the lie. I can get away with this and all the pleasure that awaits me when I do. It could be uh, lust of the eye, something that you want very badly because you find it very appealing. And if I do this, I can have what I want. And then, of course, there's the pride of life, to be all we can be. That's why we sin. We don't sin just for the sake of sinning. We sin because there's something we want. That's why we sin. No matter what it may be, it can be almost anything in the world, really, that lures us in. But there's something that we want. And because we want it, we believe the lie. And that's the way it is in religion also. People believe the lie, the untruth, if you prefer. People believe the untruth because there's something in that promise that's made that they find appealing. It could be, uh, in today's world, it could be uh, the modern form of worship. Instead of listening to a, a stuffy preacher read from an old book, we can do all, all kinds of different things. We can have lights and music and orchestras. We can have performers up here singing and juggling or whatever we want to have. You do what it takes in order to give people what they want. I remember back several years ago down in Texas, Congregation uh, Church Christ, they sent out a, a paper throughout their community. They lived in a city. And they sent out a piece of paper throughout their community there asking people what they would like to see in a church. And they got this information back and they incorporated it into their services. And the congregation, you know, tripled in a very short period of time. They, they gave people what they wanted. And people found it appealing. They, they told them that their salvation, at the end of the road, their salvation, that was the lie. But they gave them what they wanted, and that was the lure. And uh, so it goes. The truth can be very painful. The lie can be very exciting. So sometimes we prefer the lie over the truth. But you know, I know, that at the end of the day, the lie is just going to ruin our life. So we should be wise and not be led by our flesh. We should be led by the spiritual person inside, the person who's made in the image of God, not in a bag of bones that's going to be dust shortly. In Colossians 2 and 8, the warnings abound in every book of the Bible. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. 
promises, promises, promises. Follow me and I'll set you free. And look what you can do on the way to heaven. And they do. Paul said, let no one deceive you with empty words, words that will never be fulfilled, promises that can never be kept. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Notice, please, the sons of disobedience are those who deceive with empty words. That's what a false teacher is. A false teacher is the son of disobedience because he deceives people into believing something to be the truth. And all he's doing is throwing out a bunch of empty words, words which will never be fulfilled. And there's so many things that people hear that they find appealing. Salvation by faith only. You cannot fall from grace. Once you're saved, you're always going to be saved. Man, that sounds good. Once you're saved, there's nothing you can do that will jeopardize your salvation. In the end, you will be saved. That is a very popular Protestant doctrine. I understand why people embrace it. It offers you the world. But it's not true. And so it is with salvation by faith only. The preacher says on the TV, all you have to do is pray with me. And you pray the 18-word prayer that he leads you in, and then he tells you that now you're a child of God. Now you have the presence of God. Now you have the promises of God. And it sounds so good. It was so easy. Got out of a dilemma and it only took 22 seconds. But it's not true. It's not true. There's a difference between truth and a lie. A very big difference. The lie will damn your soul. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. It's not hard to see the difference. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirit. You can put it like this, and it's not cheating. Do not believe every preacher. Do not believe every teacher. But put them to the test. Prove them. The testing is much like you would test metals to find out what kind of a metal you have. Uh, back in the biblical times, they would separate uh, gold uh, from ore. And then they would test the, the gold to find out exactly what they had in the gold. It was a process they would go through. And that's what we're being told to do here. Test that preacher. Test that teacher. Prove them. Make sure that what they're saying is the true truth. Why? Because there's a lot of false teachers in the world. There's a lot more false teachers than there are teachers of the truth. I don't know how big the number is, but it's exhausting just to think about. <clears throat> Jesus one time was told by his apostles, at least in theory, to leave the Pharisees alone. Jesus, as he was prone to do, spoke the truth. Pharisees didn't want to hear the truth. The disciples, the apostles rather, they were shaken by what Jesus did. I suppose he scared them. 
because these guys had a lot of power. What they wanted him to do was leave the Pharisees alone. And that's what our Lord comes back with. Let them alone. Let them alone. Is that the, is that the, the best approach? That's what some people say today. Let them alone. Let them teach your doctrine. Let you teach your doctrine. Let them teach theirs. Leave it alone. It's none of your business what goes on elsewhere. Leave it alone. I don't know how many times I've heard that. And that's what Jesus was told, and he retorted, let them alone. How could he let them alone? They are blind leaders of blind followers. And if the blind leads the blind, they're both going to wind up in the ditch. That's why he couldn't leave them alone. When you look out over the masses of humanity that prefer to believe the lie over the truth, they're never going to change because they've got exactly what they want. But within the masses, there are going to be certain individuals who's going to be of a different frame of mind. They want the truth. They just don't know exactly what it is. They're searching for the truth, but they can't go anywhere to find it. They need the truth, and they know they need the truth. So Jesus spoke. And every now and then, those few in the masses trickled out. And they took up with him. And that's why he couldn't hush. It was for the sake of those who were willing to follow the truth. They weren't just satisfied with the lie. It's not, it's not a matter of picking on anyone. I have no desire to pick on anyone. I would prefer if I never had even fooled stuff like this. But it's the same problem today as it was then. And it's imperative. What would I do if one of you heard and believed a lie? Look how many of our brethren have gone up to this life church in Coopville. You know, they're, they're, they're wells without water. And how many of our own brothers and sisters have fallen for their promises? which in the end are going to be proven false. What if that happened to you? How could we live with that? And that's why we must speak. A great certainty, there's no doubt about it. One thing, you can, you can, you can put it in the bank. There were false prophets among the people, Peter said. That's the Old Testament Jewish people even as there will be false teachers among you who will bring in destructive heresies, bring in teachings that will destroy the church, destroy individuals. But notice what Peter says and how he says it that's so important. Even as there will be, don't have to wonder if there's going to be false teachers come into church here. They will. Satan isn't going to leave us alone. He's going to send somebody. He sent people. We've been dealing with this. I've been here 30-some-odd years now, and we've been dealing with it for 30-some-odd years in my life, at least. And it's going to be the same in the future. It's never going to end. There's always going to be someone else that comes in wanting to spill their doctrines, and they'll have to be stopped, and they'll have to be sent on their way if they refuse to repent, which none have ever 
volunteered to repent yet. So we have to be keen. If people want to follow something that's not true, honestly, that's their business. That's up to them. That's between them and God. It's got nothing to do with me. But if there's a few people in there who really want to hear the truth, now that's, that's my business then because they belong to God. There's, the, there's what we've got before us. We have truth. We have teaching that opposes truth. It's just that simple. That's the way it was even in the Garden of Eden, the place that was sinless. No sins in the Garden of Eden. It was a sin-free zone. Never had happened. Never had been a lie told. And then one day, one day, that serpent came into that garden and he told a lie. And he didn't just tell a lie, he attached a promise to that lie. And our mother believed him because she wanted to partake of the promise that wasn't going to be shared with her. But she believed this serpent for some strange reason. She believed him over God. That's the power of the lusts of our flesh. It can cause us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. And I often wondered, why did God let the serpent in that garden? Why didn't he cut his head off at the gate? For years, I didn't understand that. I do now. I do now. I understand the importance of false teachers. They play an important role in our lives. As much as it disturbs me that people believe it and follow it, I know now that they do play a crucial role in the salvation of the redeemed. And if we have time, we'll get across that in just a moment. Here we are in the middle. What will we do? Accept the truth or teaching? You've been around me long enough that I think you probably already decided it's the truth. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to put up with me. Uh, I think we've all decided the truth is the way we want to go. But a lot of people are yet to make that decision. In Deuteronomy 13, 1, 2, 3, and 5. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder... The word prophet is a person who speaks from God, an interpreter to men of what God reveals or suggests to him. Uh, a prophet, usually when we think of a prophet, we think of a person who tells the future. Well, and that's true. Sometimes that is what the word prophet means. But the word prophet also means someone who can tell the past. For example, Moses, uh, somewhere around 1450 B.C., Moses wrote about the day of creation. He was writing about history. He was in the past. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about things that had occurred in the past to make sure we had an accurate record. So sometimes a prophet is a person who foretells the future. Sometimes a prophet is a person who tells the past. But then sometimes a prophet doesn't prophesy in that sense at all. He has no, no direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit because the word prophet many times is used of a preacher. The term prophet and preacher 
oftentimes are synonymous with one another. So when you're thinking about the word prophet, you've got to look at the context. Are we talking about somebody that's recording the past, somebody talking about the future, or just talking about somebody who reveals the will of God to other people. Okay, Because the word prophet can be used in any of those three senses. And that's the way we want to think about it as we continue our study. A prophet is one who speaks from God. That's what I'm supposed to do. Speak from God. Speak his word, not my own. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18, Jehovah was speaking to Moses. And he was talking about the prophet that was going to come one day. He said, I will raise up for Israel a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brethren. He's going to be an Israelite. And I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. That's the work of the prophet. That's the work of the preacher. To speak God's words. God raised up Jesus for that very purpose. That he would speak God's words. Many times Jesus said, I speak the words of my father. The words that I speak are not my words. He said, I'm speaking the words of my father. This was prophesied in the Old Testament many, many different times that the preacher that God would send into the world would speak the words of God. And that's what preachers are supposed to do today. Those who serve God are supposed to speak the truth of God. They're not supposed to talk about salvation by faith only. God never said anything about faith only. The only thing he ever said about faith only is that a person is not saved by faith only. So why would a preacher say a person is saved by faith only when God said a person is not saved by faith only? You see, all you have to do is test the preacher. And you'll find out whether or not he's worth his salt. It's not hard to do. I can do that much. And I know good and well you can as well. <clears throat> if the prophet gives you a sign or a wonder, uh, if he foretells a future event. Uh, uh, Friday, the fire truck, it's south side fire engine, it's going to explode on Friday. Okay? This is what the prophet does. On Friday, this thing's going to blow up. If he gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or the wonder comes to pass, if that truck blows up on Friday, like he said it would, then you know that he's foretold a miraculous event. A sign of a prophet. Such an ability. But, he continues, if he says... Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. Now you have a dilemma. On the one hand, he works a sign or a wonder. On the other hand, he teaches, let us follow other gods. When Jehovah, in the first of the Ten Commandments, said, you shall have no other gods before me. You've got a problem. It looks like this person may be God's man because he performed a sign or a wonder. But in truth... He can't be God's man because he's saying something that we ought to do that God said we ought not to do. What do you go by? You go by his words. That's how you discern what this man is. You go by what he says. 
Is his words in agreement with the words of God or not? Forget the rest of it. Forget how kind he is, how gentle he is, how compassionate he is. Forget about how much love oozes out of his pores. You go by what the man says because that's going to show you the difference between the man of God and the man of the serpent. It's not hard to do. It's not hard to do. It's uncomfortable, especially when a guy is such a nice guy. And hey, man, a lot of them are very nice people. I like them a lot until they teach things that are not true. And then there's a problem. Paul said these signs and the wonders are according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonder. I don't want to go into this in much detail because it takes way too much time. But it appears to me that during the miraculous age, Satan had limited powers given him by God in which he could bestow certain powers on men. It appears to me that men, certain men, had the ability to work certain signs and wonders, okay? And then on the other hand, that may not be the case. On the other hand, it may be like a magician. I remember watching a guy on, uh, I don't know, I was in Branson, Missouri. I watched these guys do these magic things, and they had me completely buffaloed. I mean, it looked like they were making things disappear. I could not believe my eyes. I knew it was a trick, but it didn't look like a trick. It looked like the real McCoy. If I had not been a Christian, I might have believed it was a miracle they did. But I knew that they couldn't do a miracle. It could be that too. Maybe they got those kinds of powers or gifts, abilities, if you will, of a great magician. Whichever it was, neither mattered in the end because it was the words that would be the proof on the pudding. The words was the fruit that they were to look for. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, verse 8, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. Listen to their words. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Literally, let him go to hell. But don't you go with him. What do you go? You go by his words. If anyone preaches any other gospel, any other word, than that word delivered to you by God. Let that man be accursed, but don't get involved with him. Don't make his plight your plight. Do not be deceived. That's a biblical message through all the books of the Bible. Our Lord said that so many times. Take heed. Do not be deceived. Take heed what you hear. Pay attention to what you're hearing. And you're supposed to take heed not only to what you hear, but take heed to how you hear, how you listen. You've got to be attentive to the words that you are being exposed to because, now this is the, the, the hard point, because the Lord, your God, is testing you. That's when I finally learned the value of a false teacher. God uses the false teacher to test us. That's why God allowed the serpent into the garden that day to put Mother Eve to the test to see if she would believe God or the serpent 
to see if she was devoted to God or devoted to herself, her, her lusts, her desires. And the only way to see what she was given to was to permit her to be tested. And he did. And he'll permit us to be tested. And he will. Because this is the way we find out what and who we are. Test the faith and prove faith. Listen to the psalmist David. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. The word try is the equivalent of the word test. Test my mind. Test my heart. He also said prove me. That's to measure the depth of his sincerity, the depth of his love, the depth of his commitment. This is what is proven by the test. You test metal to prove what the metal is. You test people to prove what the people are. And David knew that by God testing him, it would prove what kind of a man he was in relationship to God. So David said, examine me and find out. The Lord said, you should remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. The Lord left some Canaanite people in the nation of Israel that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord. Somebody probably said, I wonder why the Lord didn't get all the Canaanites out of this land. Why did he allow these people to stay behind and pollute it to teach us things that aren't true and lead so many astray? Why? It's God's fault. Why didn't he do something about it? They wanted the Canaanites to be behind, to remain in the land. And because they did, God let them remain there. And through them, he tested his people. The Lord tested Abraham with a command. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offer up your son Isaac. Will you do it or not, Abraham? When he was put to the test, he did it. He did exactly what God told him to do. What I, what I think is one of the hardest commands in all the Bible. Kill your son. And Abraham was ready to do it. In John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, the Lord asked Philip, or said to Philip, rather, where shall we buy bread? Got a lot of people out here. We got to feed them. It's coming up at the end of the day. We've done it before, but we got to do it again right now. Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? He said this to test him because the Lord knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to feed them. He just wanted to see what Philip would say. Philip, do you, do you remember? Philip, do you think I can do it again? What are you going to say, Philip? Jesus wanted to find out. Philip failed the test that day. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's why we're tested. Right there. To know. And somebody would ask, I thought the Lord knows all things. Doesn't he know if I'll pass a test or fail a test? Indeed he does. But you got to look at the statement. The Lord isn't testing us so he can find out what we're made of. He's testing us so you will know for yourself. 
whether you love the Lord. He tests us so we can find out who we are. He tests us so we can see ourselves as he sees us. A false doctrine, for example, is indicative of whether or not we are devoted to the Lord or to ourselves. Whether we're following the Lord or whether we're following our own emotions and lusts. When I make a decision as to what I'm going to believe, I prove myself and I can see what I am and where I am. And the great thing is, if I don't like what I learn about myself, I can change it. It makes testing very important. Very important. We stand before a truth and a lie. We choose between the Lord or mammon. We do this all the time. We do it every day. We face lies every single day. We have the truth. We know what we ought to do. And then we get hit in the face with a lie. And there's what we want to do. So it comes down to what I ought to do and what I want to do and what I do. And through the process, I know me a little better than I did yesterday. I may not like what I see. A lot of times I don't. I can change it. I can repent. I can ask the Lord to forgive me. I can be made clean. And I can continue my walk in the divine way. And so all of us will go to heaven together. We can do that. I know we can do that. I wouldn't tell you we could do that if we couldn't do that, but I know we can. If we have the heart. <laughs> 